0: Today we had these verses before. So we're going to cover the first uh, 21 verses of Acts chapter 24. Okay, so Acts 24, 1 through 21. Let me read these verses together. Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. They gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace, and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanks thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension, Among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came came by with great violence and took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you by examining yourself, but you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, "Inasmuch as much as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that this is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you. That according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God which they themselves also accept, that there will be resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now for many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation in the midst of which some Jews, from Asia, also found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who were there themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time this morning. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you'll be our teacher this morning. Father, as we depend on you for insight and truth, Father, you are the source and the giver of all truth. and We ask that you apply your word to our hearts and our minds today. And We pray that we will be different tomorrow because we were here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it has been several weeks since we've been together, so let's just remind ourselves where we are. Just a very brief uh, recap. If you remember, uh, Paul was in Jerusalem. He was, um, the angry mob gathered to lay hands on him. They wanted to kill him. He had uh, been seized or rescued from the mob uh, by the Roman governor. Then uh, his name was Claudius. Claudius very soon learns that Paul's a Roman citizen, and so. He sends him by night, if you remember, with all those troops. He sends him by night um, to see Felix, who is in Caesarea. Um, Felix orders, uh, once he's, he's received, Felix sends an order for Paul's accusers. Okay, now you have to come stand before me and present your accusations. Um, and now we see here in verse 1 of chapter 24, we see the arrival of Ananias and his entourage, whom we meet in the first couple of verses, and it says, it says, here in verse one." Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus, and they gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Now we meet uh, Tertullus here the first time. His uh, his name is a Greek name, so um, even though he had a Greek name, he was uh, a Jewish attorney, probably a Hellenistic uh, Jew here. Um, What we can tell is these five days that have passed that he's here, uh, that that, that, uh, Paul's been with uh, Felix, Uh, the Sanhedrin had gone and secured his services of this attorney uh, to be, and they have asked him to be the prosecuting attorney against Paul. So they brought him uh, along with them to speak to Felix. Verses 2 and 3, it says, And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you (coughs) excuse me we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Now okay, you know, just can you can you hear well what can you hear coming from this man's lips, really? Okay? Like a slick lawyer, right? Kissing up, okay. That's what Matthew's doing. Kissing up, absolutely. It's exactly what he's doing. Uh, he is some slick words coming out of the lawyer's mouth. But hey, how many of you know lawyers really well? i they teach them this in law school somewhere how to do this. I think. Uh, but but it, and then I'm joking a little bit. But what you can hear as you can all as you read this and as you listen to this, can you can you hear the hypocrisy? First of all, I mean he is. He is just laying it on really thick here before uh, Felix. And so we see here he, he begins by praising the Roman governor for being what? For being an agent of peace in Israel. So he, he's saying Felix is the reason why there's peace in Israel. Okay, he's the agent of peace. Of course, now again, this, this, this attorney, he's himself a Jew. You have the Jewish leaders from the Sanhedrin here with them. We all know. And, and they knew. And you know, Felix knows, okay, that the Jews hated the Roman occupation. Okay, again, it's no secret to Felix. He knew that. He's not, he's not dumb. Okay, He knows that they hate this Roman occupation. The Jews know. All of them know that they hate the Roman occupation. And this peace, if, if you want to call it that, uh, the only peace they understood, or that the Jews at this time understood, came at the expense of a Roman uh, um, occupation. Roman has uh, Rome has occupied and taken over their area, and if you want to call that peace, um, I guess I wouldn't call it peace. But but you see here, this this peace they are they are uh, giving and giving him credit, giving Rome credit for this peace now. What we do know about uh, about Felix, okay, we know a little bit about him. Um, the Roman historian uh, Tacitus, he said of Felix that everywhere he went, he brought a desert and called it peace. That was the way the historian Tacitus described Felix. Everywhere he goes, he brought a desert, but he called it peace. Well, what we know about the area, the region, okay, uh, of this part of the world. Uh, the land, at, you know, in, in its history had what was basically a desert region. But over the centuries, uh, the Jewish people had transformed it into a beautiful area, a beautiful region. They had uh, an agrarian setting, they had planted trees, they had planted gardens, and um, it made it really more than just this desert region, just for their uh, agrarian practices. When the Romans came in, though, uh, when they invaded, they virtually denuded the land. They had taken work over hundreds of years to make it beautiful and fruitful, and basically had denuded the land, making it a desert, literally. Okay, making it appear as a desert. When when the Romans came in, as per their mo, this is normally how they would do, and they did it here when they invaded and, and occupied. Uh, Jerusalem in the, in the region uh, their mo was to lay siege to the walled cities so they would you know surround these cities they would besiege them with whatever attacks they could and basically they would wait out the inhabitants of the city they would cut off all supplies so nothing in and out okay no food no water they would cut off everything and basically just wait them out and makes and, and by doing so no matter how long it took by doing so they made you know the people there much easier uh, to conquer. Well, as, uh, as they waited them out, because this would take some time, uh, they cut down all the trees in the area uh, because they had to have two things. They had to have um, warm, uh, fires to stay warm and to cook food. So, during, and, and back, so back during uh, when Jesus' time, when He was here on earth, uh, if you remember on the night which He was betrayed, He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now at that time, but at Jesus' when when he was here, the Mount of Gethsemane, the garden where he was, was covered with huge olive trees. Okay, huge olive trees, three and four hundred years old. This grove, you know, this this beautiful, beautiful place uh, of that time. After the destruction in seventy AD, which is past this, okay, we haven't gotten there yet, and we're still in the fifties AD. Uh, but going looking forward to seventy AD, uh, after that, after the Roman had come in and just desolated everything, destroyed the temple and, and did everything, not a single tree was left in the area. Okay? They had um, denuded the land. And Tacitus was right. Okay? He, when, he, when he said, everywhere Felix goes, everywhere Rome goes, he makes a desert, literally, takes a beautiful place, cuts it down, just denudes the land, and they call it peace. Well... Um, that's not really peace. But uh, and, and back to Felix. Felix, of course, we, I think we mentioned this two weeks or two, three weeks ago when we were here. He was known for his brutality. Uh, he was ruthless when dealing with the Jews. Any sort of uprising, he was he was completely ruthless uh, with them. After this encounter, uh, later Felix was recalled to Rome under a new emperor and he was recalled because the new emperor thought he was too brutal. That's why he was recalled but in, in the irony of the whole thing that new emperor was Nero. And if you remember anything about Nero he was the most brutal of all time. Okay, so you see some irony here. Nero, of all people, wants to recall Felix and you know because of his brutality. So you can just kind of see some irony there. Um, With this, but anyways, that's a little bit about Felix and the area and this peace, this so-called peace that uh, we seem to be enjoying. Um, In verse two, uh, Tertullus uses the words "by your foresight," Uh, and the the English language translates those words "by your foresight," but the Greek word used when when the New Testament was written here is providence. Okay, the Greek word used was providence. There in this in verse two. So the Jewish attorney, again, if if he was worth his weight, uh, he would he he should, because of his Jewish heritage and upbringing, he should understand that it's only by God's providence that any peace or or any kind of uh, good fortune comes to a land, only at the hands of, of God's providence. And and here, uh, so you basically see this guy this attorney, this Jewish attorney is betraying his own heritage, his own Judaism, by giving praise to the Roman government for peace when he should be if if there's peace, he should be giving praise to God himself. So you see, this guy he's doing what a lot of lawyers do. He's just saying what he thinks he needs to say. Right? It's 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 really He's just doing, hey, I'm trying to appease this guy and I'll tell him whatever he thinks uh, that, I, that I think he needs to hear. So anyway, that's kind of helps us understand a little bit more of the setting here in this attorney. So it says, uh, it says in verse 4, it says, Nevertheless, so he's, okay, enough of all the pleasantries, uh, not to be tedious before you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. So again, all the enough of the flattery. Enough, enough of that. Uh, now he moves on to Paul. And in verse 5 he says, For we have found this man a plague. That's his first uh, his introduction to Paul. We have found this man a plague. Some translations use the word pest, but we agree that that is too weak a translation. Plague is much better. Okay, if the, the words that they would use to describe uh, Paul, because basically what Tertullus was saying on behalf of the group was, this man is a pestilence. Paul is a pestilence on the earth. Everywhere he goes, dissension follows. Um, and he says, "Hey, we're sick of it. We're tired of it. Everywhere this man goes, now there, there's some truth in that, isn't it? Everywhere he went, okay, for 20 years, he did bring dissension, but it was disagreement based on the truth. There were those who agreed with him and heard the truth and there were those who did not and so he did bring disagreement Um, but so he's uh, Tertullus is speaking for the Sanhedrin okay this guy's a plague he's bringing dissension everywhere we're sick of it R.C. takes a moment here he mentions uh, an interview he once saw with James Dobson Uh, apparently I don't know the timeline R.C. didn't provide it so I don't know when this happened Uh, but he said he said there, there apparently had been some a decision made uh, that led to a compromise in the U.S. Senate, and uh, Dobson was not in agreement. He was quite upset that our government had made a certain compromise. And of course, y'all know James Dobson. Focus on the family, right? Y'all, y'all know that name. So he's he's popular. People know him, right? So when he speaks, people hear, people listen, right? Um, well, anyway, he was—he came out very much against this compromise. He was very vocal about it, and he was criticized, largely, for his views. So during uh, the interview, he was told, whoever was interviewing, told him of some of the things that were being said about him. Um, and, and Dr. Sproul said he handled himself with much dignity and grace, as Dobson would do. He said people were calling him anti-American, uh, they were calling him an anti-American extremist. Uh, that's pretty, pretty heavy words, right? To, to be leveled against uh, somebody in ministry here. Um, but he did not get angry. He didn't get bitter. Um, because to him and his words, it was just name-calling. And it did not even come close to hitting at the heart of the real issues. Now, uh, Dr. Spurwell on the comment that we live in a time when anybody can voice an opinion in the public square and be heard except for an evangelical Christian. In this case, such as Dobson, he stands up and offers his opinion, then he's labeled an extremist and he's shut down, right? He's canceled, right? So, But, but and again, fast forward now you know this is several years old what Dr. Sproul's written uh, I would be interested to see his comment on today and to how things have changed in the last 2 years because it's gotten even worse than this right much much worse uh than uh than this but we see that, that that there is uh there is uh people listening people give a hearing to your public to your opinion in the public square except when it's an evangelical uh, Christian. Uh, Sproul added that if we are to be faithful to Christ in the public square, we too will be regarded as a plague. Just like Paul is being described here as a plague. He added, we've enjoyed many freedoms and protections over the years, which is true, uh, but they are quickly coming to an end. And most of them probably have come to an end. he added that we need to be ready for this because our faith will very soon be tested. And it is being tested already. And if we stay true to Christ, we will be seen as a plague, just like Paul. Because people, you know as well as I knew, that the world has compromised on everything. Okay? Anything that is true, they don't like it. Especially if it's biblical truth, they hate it. And so it's under attack. And so for an evangelical Christian to voice his opinion, uh, not, not even his opinion, excuse me, to proclaim truth based on the word to a, a modern situation, we are hated for that. We are Now we are the ones that are considered a plague, a pestilence, bringing dissension. How could you? So we are the ones now, just like Paul, who are being silenced, who are being canceled. And very soon, and it has already started happening, you've seen, you've seen Christians... Uh, who have been put on trial for their faith in the world and in close to home? I mean, I maybe mean, even here. Okay, it is it is happening. Uh, pastors up in Canada who were not allowed to meet uh, anyway, and you see um, pastors being arrested. And you know we, we can we can you can stick our head in the sand if you want to, but it's coming here. I mean, we're next. Okay, now how long is it going to take? I, I have no idea, but it's coming here where. You stand up and say something against a modern social agenda. If you speak truth, which is what the Bible tells us to do, get ready. Okay, it's coming. You will be hated. You will be anti-American. You will be anti-loving. And you will be treated the same way as they treated Paul. And I will be treated the same way. It is coming. It It already has gotten here. So... Tertullus says Paul is a plague because because he has created dissension among the Jews throughout the world. Uh, He continues in verses uh, 6 through 9. and says, He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander came by with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And all the Jews assented, maintaining that these things were so. Now, if you're paying close attention here, uh, notice that this attorney now has changed the charges. He has—he's playing with words here, as attorneys are good at. He is—he's now said. Notice, he said that we, and this is his words. We—we we say that he tried to pertain, uh, profane the temple. What was the? The original charge was he did. No, it wasn't that he tried or he attempted. No, he did. He took and named, I can't remember the name, into the temple with him. They said he did that. Now, he's saying, oh, he tried to profane the temple. So he's he's changing the charges here a little bit. Um, Of course, uh, that was not true. Uh, Paul never did that. And so, uh, since no one could back up that charge, so we see that he changed it a little bit. So they knew they had no witnesses to prove that Paul had done that because it didn't ever happen. And so we're going to change it a little bit. we are just going to say he tried to, he attempted to profane uh, on the temple. Uh, Tertullus added that they had stopped him. And notice he says nothing about the mob who then tried, who wanted to kill Paul. Notice he, he conveniently leaves that out. Okay, that is nowhere mentioned here uh, about this angry mob. And y'all remember that because we studied that. Uh, then he goes on to say that the commander had grabbed Paul away from them, which is also not true. Uh, basically everything that this attorney brought forth was false. He's changed everything. He's he's uh, just like, trying to do a little sleight of hand, just trying to make things sound a little bit better, a little bit worse than what they were. Anyway, uh, everything was false. Uh, Matthew Henry commented here. Uh, he had some really interesting uh, comments about this section of uh, Scripture. Really helpful comments. Matthew Henry said that God's prophets were charged with being troublers of the land and also our Lord Jesus Christ that He had perverted the nations. The very same charges that were brought against Paul. What's Matthew Henry saying? This ain't new for God's people. That's what he's saying. Okay? This ain't new. Ain't nothing new about what's happening to Paul. It's been happening since the beginning of time. It's been happening. All of God's Old Testament prophets, when they spoke truth into the world, they were treated the same way. Even the Messiah himself was treated the exact same way as Paul is being treated here today. And the temptation for us, because again, we've already established that it's coming, we're seeing it in our modern times. Okay, the temptation is... To be quiet. Then temptation is to not say anything. The temptation is to say, hey, let's just keep enjoying a little bit of peace that we're already enjoying. Um, let's don't make a fuss, right? We don't want to make anybody angry. We don't want to offend anyone. That's the temptation of God's people, right? That is the temptation. Matthew Henry said, let not Christians value the applause or be troubled at the revel, uh, revelings of ungodly men who represent the vilest of the human race, almost as gods, and the excellence of the earth as pestilence and movers of sedation. What's and he? And, and I know there was. A, there was Matthew Henry said a lot more there, but his point was, don't be tempted to just to be quiet to appease the crowd. Okay, that's what he's saying. He said, you know, you need to speak the truth, just like Paul, just like. Jesus, just like the prophets before them, who would speak truth into a very angry and a hostile environment. Um, He's saying, no, you have to speak truth and be prepared for this kind of reaction, okay? Because this is how God works in the world, okay? So that's what his, his point was. Well, finally it says, all the Jews agreed with the charges and so now Paul has opportunity to give his reply now most people are advised, and if uh, if you were in the same situation, you'd be advised not to be your own defense attorney. Right? That's why we've always heard that advice. Don't don't serve as your own uh, defense attorney. But we see here that the Sanhedrin had hired the best lawyer they could find, and Paul was left now to defend himself. He had uh, no human advocate. He had no one there with him. Okay, in uh, in in this um, hearing. <clears throat> that uh, Sproul commented, he said, you know, I wonder right here at, at this moment, as now Paul's having to give his def- his own defense uh, through this mock trial, he said, I wonder if on that day he uh, remembered the occasion of a similar trial. When Stephen was martyred, remember Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen And you remember what happened with Stephen. Stephen, we have it recorded for us here in Acts, that as he was about uh, to be stoned, he looked up into heaven. He had no advocate, right? There was nobody there standing with him. But there was someone standing, right? Stephen looked up into heaven. He saw his advocate, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, standing in his defense in heaven. He did have an A. He wasn't there beside him, but he was very much there. Okay, in his uh, defense, Stephen. Stephen had no one there, but Christ Himself was standing on his behalf. So you wonder if you know maybe Paul remembered that occasion. You know, here, here I am now. I'm here uh, to defend myself. But he can then remind. Paul can remind himself that. Christ has a promise to also be Paul's advocate, and Christ is there. He is very much there in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, He, Jesus, yes, physically is not there with Paul. There's no one standing there with Paul as a defense attorney, but he's really there. He is there, and he is um, he he now offers his defense in the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is the best defense attorney that anyone can have? Okay. Verse ten, it says, "Inasmuch as I know that you have been here many or many years, a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself." Now, Paul gives a little, slight tip of the hat, a little bit of a courtesy um, um, to to the magistrate, which is polite; it's customary. He's just, you know, showing respect, uh, acknowledging his his place in this whole in this proceedings. Um. And, and Sproul noted that even when when Calvin wrote his Institutes, he wrote a dedication in his Institutes to the King of France. Uh, his, in the dedication, he appeals to the King's sense of justice to help stop uh, the persecution that was happening of so many innocent Christians. And so here, what he, Paul, as Paul introduces himself, and he's he's speaking now. He, he he's trying to be courteous. He is. What he says, if we could kind of rephrase or break down or paraphrase what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I'm glad that I can speak here. I'm glad that I have a hearing before you. Okay? Thank you. Uh, But you're not a stranger, is what he's telling Felix. You've been around here a while. And you understand the Jewish people. And so, I hope you'll understand my defense. Because you have no understanding about people, and that's basically what Paul's saying uh, to Felix. Uh, Paul goes on to say, to recount on uh, the last uh, or the several weeks, he's saying, "Listen, I've only been in Jerusalem for twelve days, okay? And so this, all this, this trouble that they're accusing me of stirring up, I, there's no way I could have done all that in twelve days, okay? It's just I've been there twelve days. There's just no way." That all this trouble could have could have happened, he You know, and, and and you remember too, he hasn't even preached in Jerusalem. Okay, you remember he went into the purification, went into the, he hasn't even delivered a sermon here. So uh, seven of those days uh, he spent offering sacrifices in the temple uh, where he had gone through the purification uh, ritual, if you remember right, and that's when they seized him. And no Gentiles had ever even been there with him in the whole, the temple. So. What, what Paul's saying is the, these charges about this dissension that I am bringing um, the, and, and being called a plague, what he's saying is hey it didn't happen in Jerusalem. I've only been there 12 days. He says it came from the people in Ephesus. And if you remember that when we were back in Ephesus, you remember uh, our time there there was a lot of there were some people that, that agreed with Paul. They heard what he was saying. They followed him, but there were a lot who were very angry. Okay, about the the teachings of Paul. And you remember those same Ephesians. Okay, those are the ones who have come down to Jerusalem. They're here. So they're the ones that are really kind of pushing this, saying, hey, no, we know Paul. We hated him. And, and now we're after his life. And so about them, it's about those people that Paul says this in verse 19. He says, And they ought to have been here before you. To object, if they had anything against me, he said, "Hey, these charges—there's none of that happened in twelve days in Jerusalem. Okay, that's really not what this is about. It's—it's it's another group of people who were really not happy with me, uh, and they're the ones who should be here before you. That's what—that's what Paul's saying. Verses uh, twenty through twenty-one. It says." Or let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is for this one statement which I have cried out saying among them concerning the resurrection of the dead I am being judged by you this day. If you remember back when he had the mob there he perceived that there were Pharisees and Sadducees there. And so he mentioned the resurrection of the dead. And you remember what happened. Remember, they'd agree that Sanhedrin doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees do. There was a big argument, and y'all remember how that went down. But as we see uh, this trial, this, if you want to call it that, this trial of Paul before uh, Felix, we have to see the parallels. We must see the parallels between the trial of Jesus and the trial of Paul. Um, <clears throat> all the hostility okay, that was the Jews were bringing uh, forth towards Paul, it's almost exactly the way that they treated Jesus. <clears throat> it's almost exactly the way they treated Jesus. Remember, Jesus was tried as a heretic. He was tried as a heretic according to the Jewish law. Paul now is being charged with not being faithful to the Bible. He's charged with basically being a heretic. Um, In his defense, Paul says, I have been, he said, I've been committed to God's Word my entire life. Remember we talked about conscience, living with a good conscience up to this point. He He had been committed to God's Word his entire life. And he says, I've never swayed or strayed away from the law And the prophets. And here I am being tried as a heretic against the very law that I um, have been faithful to. And so, what's the problem? The problem was what the Old Testament says about the Messiah. Okay? the, The real problem is people's response to Jesus Christ, right? That is the problem. That's why people are upset. Jesus said he was the Messiah. They claimed him as a heretic. They killed him, according to God's plan. Paul says also, Jesus is the Messiah, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, say he is not. Now, so the issue between the issue is between Jesus and the Pharisees, um, and the issue was who believes in what the Old Testament says about the Messiah. That's really. The heart of really what's going on here. That's why they don't like Paul. Paul's preaching the same gospel as the, as Jesus uh, preached, and so uh, the Jews told Jesus that they believed. You remember this? Remember back when 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 Jesus was going through the same things. Jesus told, excuse me, the Jews told Jesus that they also believed in the Old Testament, and they were the ones that followed Moses. We're the ones being true, right? You're not. That's what they told. Uh, Jesus, if you remember, they said, we are the children of Abraham, not you. That's what they told Jesus. And then we know that Jesus answered in John 8. He says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I have kept his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So we see a very similar problem here. The same reason that the Jews hated Jesus, they also hate uh, now Paul. Paul, excuse me, Jesus claimed to be the true Israel, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Paul was claiming the exact same thing. Nothing New here, he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these charges of being a heretic, Paul is is preaching Judaism. The Old Testament teaches and talks about the coming of the Messiah. So he, he didn't he didn't he didn't change any of that. He's not changing the Old Testament. He's saying that the Old Testament has has had has had its fulfillment. The Messiah has come. He's Jesus Christ. Whom you kill. That's the message of Paul. Now, some people will say today, they'll make an argument, and I'll say, what difference does it say? I I think uh, Sproul mentioned that he has some uh, Jewish friends that would say, you know, um, what difference does it say that some say Jesus is the Messiah and some say He isn't? Well, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? (laughs) It means... Very big difference. I think he quoted some of his Jewish friends and said, I wish, you know, this Jesus had never shown up. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have all these problems. We'd all still be one church, right? Waiting on the Messiah. That's kind of their point, right? Well, Sproul said, Well, what difference does it make if I say Jesus is the Messiah and you say he's not? He said, If I say he is, if I say he's the Messiah and you say he's not, then one of us is wrong true yes one of us is wrong we can't both be right that is a contradiction okay i say he's the messiah you say he's not we can't both be right one of us in that case would be against god one of us is not telling or, or does not believe the truth we we cannot both be right he says if jesus is not the messiah then those of us who worship him as messiah we are idolaters okay we are guilty of idolatry if jesus is not the messiah so that would be an accusation could be leveled at us we would we're not okay it's not a i'm okay you're okay okay we can't have this well you believe he is and i believe now wait a minute if dear jewish friend if you say he's not then i'm an idolater to you That's the, that, that is that uh, is that is the truth now, our culture likes to say—they say it all the time—that um, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, all right? We've, we get, it, and it's, it is the, it is the worst cop out. It is such a cop out because what happens is they get to a difficult place where there is a disagreement and they are unwilling to have a, a discussion about it. Well, uh, just. Either and they don't—they're not willing to have a discussion either because they don't know how to have the discussion about it, right? They—they—they've been told something that they really don't believe. They don't have any way of backing it up, and so they feel threatened by you. So let's don't get in an argument about it. So we'll just—we'll get to a point. It's our way out, right? It's an easy way out. Well, just to, just as long as you're sincere, and that's supposed to diffuse everything, supposed to make everybody okay, right? Well, back to this question, if. If we get to that point about when we get to, hey, as long as you're sincere, I say Jesus is the Messiah and you say He's not. One of us is wrong. And that's not a, as long as you're... We're, we're saying the opposite things. doesn't matter if we're sincere. One of us is wrong. And of course, added, and, and y'all have heard this because you've heard him say it and you've heard other people say it. Well about that being sincere. He says, well, guess what? He says, the devil is sincere as well. He said, the devil sincerely hates God and Jesus. Does that make him okay? Is he okay because he's sincere? No, absolutely not. Dr. Sproul said, you cannot embrace Christ and at the same time embrace every pretender to the kingdom of God. He says, at some point, you have got to be a pest to the world. At some point you must make a stand. Strong words. At some point you have to make a stand. Jesus understood that. Jesus made a stand. Paul understood that understood that. Paul made a stand. Do you understand that? And are you willing to make a a stand. It's a hard question, isn't it? But it's a real question. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners? Is He the Messiah? Then you are going to be called to make a stand at some point. Are you willing to do that? The answer better be yes. Right, I'm willing to stand with you, Lord. Be with me. Give me, give me the 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 words as as He says He will do. I will give you the words to say when you're dragged before powers and princes and powers. I'll don't worry about what you're going to say. I will give you the words because I'll be there with you. Um, Sproul added as he kind of comes to an end of this uh, lesson. He said, "I heard a teacher one time use uh, or take take the name of Paul and make an acrostic out of his name. Okay, he says P was for polluted." Because Paul said what about himself? He says, "I'm the chief of sinners, right?" So my life has been polluted by sin, and I need a savior to be saved. He says, uh, "The A, Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle called uh, by Jesus Christ Himself. You uncompromising. I think we can agree." That Paul's life and his testimony was committed to the truth and he did not compromise. He would not back down even faced with his own life being taken from him. And this is L, loving. Wait a minute. How is Paul loving, right? He's bringing dissension. He's bringing truth. Paul was loving people by telling them the truth. The most loving thing you can do For a sinner is to tell them the truth about their sin. And if you die in your sin, you go to hell forever. That is the most loving thing you can do. Now, is that what people look to do? No, we don't want to tell people that. What if it's a family member? We don't want to tell them about sin. I don't want to make... This is going to make them mad and uncomfortable. That is the most loving thing you can do. Now, that makes you really consider what love is, doesn't it? It's not what the world says it is. It's, it's not emotional, you know, feel-good kind of thing uh, that teenagers, you know, all lovey-dovey kind of thing, this emotional kind of thing. No, loving people is telling them the truth. Telling them the truth about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, what, uh, what the... Personage. It says he was the most loving Christian to ever walked the earth because he did not back down. He told people the truth about their sin and who Jesus was, and the answer to sin. He pointed them to Christ. Christ is the answer. He is the way that you deal with sin in this world. He he preached Christ to his Jewish neighbors. He knew what it was going what it was going to bring. It, it, Paul's never been surprised by the dissension in the debate. That's what the truth does. Remember, the truth divides those who believe in the truth and walk in the truth, and those that do not. Yet he remained faithful. He he preached Christ to his Jewish neighbors and his friends, not because he hated them. He's not trying to. He, he loves them. I want you to know the truth. I want you to be saved. And that that is hard. It is tough. Paul knows it. Jesus knows it. But it's a message that Paul was uncompromised. He uncompromised. He was, he was committed to the truth. Therefore, he was loving people. He was loving people. And Dr. Sproul said, I'll close with his words. He says, if you love Christ and if you love people, then you will never compromise his gospel. Let Paul be our example today. Our time is uh, almost out. So let me go ahead and and pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time. We thank you for the the witness of Paul, Father. This this commitment to the gospel, Father, that um, was unwavering, uncompromising. Father, telling people the truth because he loved them, not because he hated them, but because he wanted them to know the truth. And so, Father, we just pray that we will all be as bold, uh, Father, knowing that uh, the gospel is salvation to sinners and to a lost world. And it is the answer. Uh, The gospel message is the answer to a lost world. We pray that we will have the faith and the courage to continue to proclaim that to a lost world, knowing that uh, you'll be right there with us and that uh, you'll get all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.